You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, Calvary. Man, what a great worship service we had together last week. And if you didn't have a chance to be there at the Ziegfeld, I just want to encourage you to even start making plans now for Easter to bring somebody along, to reach out others and more, because I think ultimately it's a great opportunity. Uh, we're gathering safely and cautiously, and we're going to exalt Christ on Easter. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Let's talk about exalting Christ. What does it mean? to uh, who Jesus is. How do we exalt him? How do we give him praise? And how do we give him glory? We're going to get to that in just a minute, but I know what you want to hear of first. You want to know a little bit more about my background. Let me tell you why you want to know a little more about that. So this is actually where I, uh, this is this is the Floral Park Long Island Railroad Station, kind of right at the edge of Queens there. Um, and that, uh, you can see the train on the right and on the left is uh, a bar. Actually, if you zoom in on that bar, we we actually lived on that little. You couldn't go in that front door, but that's there were several apartments in that little house. And on the left side of what you see is the bar uh, that my dad spent a lot of time in. And then on the right side is actually a funeral home. I think there's a certain irony, by the way, in being born and living between a bar and a funeral home. But my parents actually couldn't go to that front door; they had to sneak in the back door because their apartment was on the back door. To the left of that's actually a fire station. So uh, it might explain a lot about me that I was born and taken home to an apartment between a funeral home and a bar next to a fire station that went off all night uh, next to a train station. Now, I can tell you a lot more about my family. I know you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I'd, I'd like to know more, Ed. I, I'd like to know all the details of your genealogy and your... But, you know, really, the reality is not a lot of people do. Matter of fact, probably by the time I got to that third picture, some of you were saying... Is there going to be more pictures? Are we really going to, is Ed going to like hold up childhood pictures? And I can tell you about my dad. His name was Ed too. And my grandfather, his name was Ed too. We had a very creative family. Um, matter of fact, I can tell you about my my uh, my mother. Her name was Betty. Her her mother's name was also Betty. And her daughter's name was also Betty. Very creative family I came from. It's an Irish thing. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. You kind of flip through genealogies, right? So you know a little bit more about me, but that would get real old really fast. Well, let me just say that for a lot of people, they flip through the genealogy of Jesus, right? So actually, um, so if you have your Bible, you can take it out with me and, and turn to me to Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, what you will see is a, uh, uh, you know, the scriptures themselves begin with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people skip this, and I get why, because you get down to where, you know, where Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez by the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. I get it. But there's a lot of amazing stuff that's going on in here that I want to walk through with you today as we jump into the genealogy of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. So we're going to look at uh, Matthew. Jesus is Messiah and King. We're going to look specifically at the genealogy, and I'm going to take this, uh, not not read through the whole thing uh, to get you a list of names that maybe are new to your pronunciation skills, but instead what I want to do is I want to kind of, I kind of want to walk through this passage 
And in doing so, I want you to um, see the theological nature of the genealogy, right? So when I was born, my parents took me home to this Floral Park, Long Island Railroad Station. What's it matter? Well, at the end of the day, Jesus' genealogy really does matter. I think ours does too. I think I think there's a sense that it does too. But our genealogy is uh, is not anywhere near as important as where we're going to look at the genealogy of the King, the Savior of the whole world. Because we got to ask, you know, if nobody cares about people's genealogy, why did Matthew put it in there? So let's look at the passage. Let's get honest. You probably skipped this. You're not so into genealogies, except your own. But this feels boring. Like you want to get people's attention into a story. Matter of fact, uh, today we would never start anything with genealogy. We'd start with, let me tell you something exciting. But this genealogy is rich and filled with the gospel. These 42 names are fabulous. The Old Testament ends. There are still promises to fulfill. The New Testament actually begins with the Old Testament. Let's not to miss this, right? So Matthew chapter 1. Look how the New Testament begins with the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This helps us to understand some exceedingly important things about the Gospels. You see, uh, the Gospels, just to start, as we start walking through the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospels are a certain kind of uh, literature. They're history, but they're not straight history. In other words, we think of history as this happened, then this happened, and this happened. One of the things we find is that um, that the writers of the Gospels actually arrange these things theologically. It's a theological history. And that doesn't mean they're not historically true. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit to be what we call inerrant. But they're a genre or a type of literature. They have certain characteristics. They are, for example, about someone, written by someone, and written to someone to say something, right? Don't want you to miss those things. They, the Gospels are, uh, they are written uh, by someone, I should start with, they're about someone, right? So they're about someone. They're written by someone. They're written to someone to say something. And so the genealogy here is through Joseph. Now, this is interesting, too, because uh, we, we know from our theology that Jesus was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. And yet this genealogy actually goes through Joseph. So it actually goes down to, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. So what does that even matter? Well, it does matter. Matthew's explaining because the um, he's legally the son of David because he's uh, legally Joseph's son. And so what's interesting here is the Bible in this genealogy and genealogy in particular, they're honest in their dealing of both the good and the bad of history. You know, Calvary Baptist, you know, one of the things has been notable in many ways, famous in here in New York City. Uh, thank God for that. But there's no doubt that if when we dig around our history, we could find some less than stellar stories as well. So anyway, let's jump in. Let's jump into the outline here and we'll just walk through the things that we're going to cover today. So, so the first, number one, is that the uh, the gospel tells the story tells us the story that makes sense of life. The gospel tells us the story that makes sense of life. It actually jumps in and says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, interestingly enough, in some more um, traditional uh, translations, it'll actually say, a book of the Genesis of the Christ, son of David, king, and son of Abraham, the whole world, right? So, So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is so important. Matthew does not start with the teaching of Christ, but with the person of Christ. This is so key. Matthew does not start with the teaching of Christ, but with the person of Christ. So while doctrine uh, is vital to uh, our faith, we worship a person, not a doctrine or a dogma. 
So what he says is important um, is really essential here. But who Jesus is and what Jesus did is central to the Gospel of Matthew. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did is, is central to the Gospel of Matthew. So this intro is telling us not that the Gospel is just is good advice. It's good news about a person, the Messiah, who changes everything. So Jesus is the center of God's great story of redemption. Think about it. Great epics like the Lord of the Rings are telling a grand story of overcoming evil and darkness to bring to redemption to a people. <laughs> Same with the Marvel Universe and Star Wars, right? These are stories that are told over and over again. But these only echo the true and better story of Scripture. Um, and, 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 and so we don't want to miss this, right? So, so what, what we see is the entire Bible story kind of falls into, you could put it in four big acts, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And the hope of restoration to come is really central to what we're going to see through the teachings of Jesus. Now, we're going to jump around. When we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to remember that the Gospel of Matthew is uh, is part of the Bible. It's not just a standalone book. And so we can see in many other places the teachings of the Scripture, uh, well, multiple places. Let's take a look here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So no, don't miss this, right? So Matthew is emphasizing he is a person, not an idea. Now, um, over the years, as groups, churches, and individuals sort of moved away from the clear teaching of the scripture, one of the ways that they do that is they turn Jesus into an idea. And the resurrection is sort of an idea. There's some, maybe it didn't really happen, but people thought it happened and it inspired them. And it gave them an idea to love one another and care for other people. And, you know, what's interesting historically, in our own genealogy, Calvary was a part of pushing against those kinds of ideas. You know, John Roach Straton, pastor from years and years ago, um, would stand up and say, no, 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 no. Jesus was a literal person who literally died on the cross, who literally and bodily has been resurrected, and who literally and bodily is coming back. So, um, so, so this Matthew kind of assumes some of these things uh, because he's communicating to, to, to us that Jesus is a person, not an idea. He's a person, not just a teacher. He is. He has come and everything changes, right? So that's what we see at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, uh, but it doesn't end there as well. There's more to be covered as well. Because, you know, one of the things we saw is, we were talking about this last week, actually, we kind of done this rolling on-ramp to the Gospel of Matthew. And we've seen some about the kingdom of God. We've seen some about being salt and light. We've seen some about the kind of emphases that Matthew is going to bring. And it's been super helpful to walk through those. Now, what I want you not to miss is that this is telling the story of a person who's fully God, fully man, but a person, and that that person, Jesus Christ, God the Son, born Jesus the Christ, Matthew's going to root this in history. It's a theological history. It's a theological genealogy. So let's take a look at where it goes from there, right? On to uh, number two. The gospel tells us the story of Jesus the King. The gospel tells us the story of Jesus the King. Again, right into the next part, uh, repeating. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew gives legal line to prove Jesus' 
kinship, who, who, his, um, who his ancestors were. Now, um, Matthew does it legally. Luke does it biologically. Remember, there are four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you'll actually turn over to the genealogy in Luke, and it's kind of different. But here, Matthew is making a theological and at times shocking genealogy of Jesus. But here, this ties to the Davidic covenant, covenant of David that God made with David, and the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham. So the son of David means he's the king. And the tie to David is really, really important. The tie to David is really, really important. I don't want us to miss uh, the tie to David. So, so the total of 42 generations, right, um, achieved, you know, actually has to omit some people. So it's not this person directly begat this person, right? And it's not uncommon then that people would actually articulate that it might take a, uh, you know, a few, uh, they might skip a generation or two, but it's he's making a theological case here. And, and actually, too, the, the, even the numbers, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but there's kind of uh, the choice of three of 14 seems deliberate. So there's 14, and then to this, and then there's 14, and then to this, and then there's 14, and then to this. So, so there's, there's these symbols that are at work here. Uh, could be particularly related to um, uh, the number seven, and it's being repeated as well. But so David's name is actually the 14th entry in the list of this uh, of 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 this uh, genealogy, right? So you go through and you kind of pick it up. You can, you can pick again. We're we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit. You pick up at eight, and you got Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Now, probably in your Bible, um, you probably uh, notice that there are paragraph indentions here, right? So there are paragraph indentions here, and those paragraphs follow the 14 entries, right? So, so you go from Abraham to David in section one. Now, to get there, names are left out. So Matthew's creating a theological genealogy, not just this person had that person because he skips some people, goes from grandfather to son, but father literally can mean ancestor of. So David, central figure, right? David is a central figure leading to Jesus as the Christ. Matthew's pointing out that theologically, Jesus is the Messiah hoped for, by the Jews, right? So, so again, Matthew, remember, Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, and it's focusing here. So, so you can actually see this in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, here, take a look. 2 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 7, beginning at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And now he'll come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So he's clearly making this connection to David that's important legally, and he lays it out legally, and it's important that we not miss. It goes on from here. Uh, he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we get this picture here that um, that King David is an essential, essential uh, part of understanding this, right? Remember, Matthew writes for the Jews. Actually, Mark probably wrote for the Romans. Luke wrote for the Greeks. And John wrote for the church is what people sometimes will say. And I think those are helpful categories because what you're going to hear a lot, though, is how 
Matthew wrote for the Jews, uh, people who were considering Christ or were Jewish followers of Jesus, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Now, many of you know that Calvary has a has a fascinating history. One of the reasons I wanted to pick the Gospel of Matthew and kind of did talk some with the uh, church leaders about is this is a great good to go, great way to go, and and yeah, we decided to go this way. So one of the great things too is that you know Calvary has this long connection with people who uh, who desire to share the good news of the gospel uh, with uh, the Jewish people, still today. So um, so Matthew's a great book for what's going on 2,000 years ago, but also does sort of tie in some, of our, in some of our ways to our history as well. All right, let's go to number three. Number three, um, the gospel tells us the story of Jesus the Messiah. Again, I keep coming back to this, this central part, right? We're going to jump around a little bit. It says, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So uh, the son of Abraham means that Jesus uh, is Jewish, is the language this would be. So this is really key, because you can't really understand the messianic Messiah language in the New Testament without understanding, um, really, the covenants and the history of the Old Testament. And one way to take a look at that is to go back to Genesis, right? Back to Genesis, it says, and we're going to pack a lot more of this as we go, but it says, now the Lord said to Abram, that was Abraham's name before God renamed him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those uh, I will cur- and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Sorry, I have memorized a different translation. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, right? So through that line, through that messianic line, um, Abraham, Abram, later Abraham, that he is a descendant. So we actually see, right, this, it's a theological genealogy, right? So right in the first verse, it tells you, it, 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 it tells you where it's going. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham, okay, big, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like, this is the intro, and then he gives you the details, right, so, so we don't want you to miss this, right, so there's um, beautiful depth to this passage, right, so we're jumping around a little bit the New Testament, Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, so again, we're seeing this. We keep coming back to some key things, right? The key word in the genealogy, in the genealogy, is Christ or Messiah, depends on what translation you have, which is repeated three times in the passage, right? It's repeated in 1 1. It says at the end of the it, it, where, where it says it says the book of genealogy is Christ or Messiah. It's repeated at the end of verse 17. Go all down to verse 17. It says, so all de- all the um all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. There's Christ mentioned again. So remember, also in verse verse 16, I should also say as well, in verse 16 it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Christ was born, who is of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So that's the key theme, right? Remember again, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience who primarily thinks of the Messiah as a king who comes from the line of David. So Matthew's primary intention here is to show that Jesus is offspring of David, who will reign on David's throne forever, and he is offspring of Abraham, who will bless the nations. Let me not let me say this again so you don't miss it, because it says at the beginning and the end, 
So it's kind of on both sides. Verse 1, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. David, the deportation of Babylon, 14. Deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14. So Abraham, David, why? Again, because they, they show that Jesus is offspring of David, who will reign on David's throne forever, and he is offspring of Abraham, who will bless the nation. So so the genealogy of Jesus shows you uh, not only uh, would God go to great lengths to save us, but he worked through all kinds of trying circumstances to bring his Savior to the earth. Look at the names and some of the things that they went through, right? Abraham wandered from from uh, from basically Babylonish area. Uh, actually, Ur was in the news recently, um, in, in global news. Anyway, went, went from Abraham to Egypt, back to the promised land, narrow, narrowly escaping death. His wife was childless beyond the normal time. God provided him a son, eventually become a nation. His son was Isaac, who was almost sacrificed on a mountain. Jacob was nearly killed by his own brother and had difficulty time even finding a wife. At the time he died, the entire nation of God was less than 100 people. Judah's generation would have died in famine had it not been for his younger brother Joseph being sold into slavery. Then the nation of Israel lived as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, seemingly forgotten by God. Having been freed from Israel by escaping the Red Sea, the nation wanders in the desert for 40 years. God was disappointed with the nation of Israel, but allowed the nation to live so the next generation could take the promised land, right? Once in the promised land, the nation had to fight people living in the land. When they obeyed God, they did well. When they rebelled, they suffered. Yet God kept the nation alive. I mean, shockingly, God kept the nation alive. Even the modern nation of Israel is shocking in the history of the world. And the line of Abraham continued on. God would not allow this line to end. By the time we get to Jesse, right, King David and Solomon, the nation had become great, but they'd become spiritually corrupt, worshiping other gods. It would have been understandable if God just given up on them, but God kept working through the lineage because he promised the Savior would come through this line. So from Solomon. And it goes on, a nation wicked, corrupt, and following him uh, uh, to, to ultimately a nation to become wicked, corrupt, and faithless. And yet he kept sending his prophets to warn and beg and threaten his people to turn back to him. But over and over again, the people turned their back on God. So God allows people to be taken into exile. Rather than just allowing them to be killed off, God had them carried off. For generations, the nation lived in exile. And then the nations came and went. The Babylonians were defeated by the Persians. The Persians allowed the Jews to go back to the promised land. But then the Persians were defeated by the Greeks. The Greeks spread their, their beautiful nation around the Mediterranean, giving all the nations a common language. And the Romans came, bringing peace and roads and shipping that would unite the Mediterranean. But in the midst of all this, God preserved the Jewish people. And a man named Jacob gave birth to a son named Joseph, who married a woman named Mary, who gave birth to a son named Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And that's what Matthew's telling us. So he literally gives us like this overview of some of this history. He just kind of goes through it. And, and, and at the end of that, I hope you read at the end of that, just at the end of what I just said, you said, hey, man, I went over out in a room together. Where we would just say, amen. So because of this, we who should face God's wrath and punishment for sin um, and put out of his presence forever because of our sin, have a life, a new life, a new life in Jesus Number four on our outline. I get a little excited in there, so I got to tell them the whole story and the history. Number four, um, the gospel tells us the story of the Savior. The gospel tells us the story of the Savior. And I love what's going on here, right? So um, Jesus is, um, is the Savior of the whole world, the all who will trust and follow him. It's, it's extended. It's offered to all. But there's some people included in there that are kind of strange, kind of surprising. For example, there's the inclusion of some women in here that, um, why these women included? Because that wouldn't be normal in that day to include 
uh, women in a genealogy. But they were representative Gentiles to whom the Christian mission were extended, maybe. Or maybe women who had illicit marriages or illegitimate children are in there. The only factor that clearly applies to all four, all four of the women mentioned here, is the illegitimacy surrounding their, their sexual activity and their childbearing. But, I mean, so, so it's kind of shocking what's going on here. These women were all Gentiles of a sexually questionable past for whatever reason. And, and, uh, and, 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 and let's take a look at what's going on here, right? So just look at some of the people here. And then, then we see uh, the names of some people that might surprise us as well. For example, Judah, uh, the, the father of um, the the Prez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar. Uh, who, what's going on here? What's, what, why, why her name here? Genesis 38, her husband was a wicked man who died for his wickedness. And then the next son, Onan, did not fulfill his expected duty in time to marry her. Because of his actions, he died as well. Judah then had Tamar live in his house until the youngest son grew enough to marry her. During this time, Judah's wife died. Tamar later disguised herself as a prostitute and had sexual relations with Judah. So then Judah, after, she, after Tamar excuse me, sleeps with her father-in-law, she becomes pregnant. Judah's about to be stoned for immorality. And when he said that the, 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 said she had the belt of the man who did this to her, it was Judah's. And, and it goes on and on and on. He, he, actually, he actually replies at that point, she is more righteous than I. Now, what, what, what's going on with this person? What's going on uh, with this situation? Uh, now, but we go on from there. And, and again, I'm going to unpack it just to save time. But once he recovered this, right, Judah actually had, had no further relations, right? And so in the middle of the genealogy of the Savior, we have this story of a woman in the midst of a sexual dystopia that would make trending Netflix miniseries look tame. Uh, this reminds us of God's grace for sinners. Now, then you got people mentioned like 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 Rahab, and and you know Rahab. I mean, that's a name that that even today kind of reflects. Rahab was a prostitute, but but one who feared God. And then and then we got names like Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Ruth was a Moabite. What's a Moabite being in here? This is the lineage of the Messiah. And then you've got people like David, and David, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You know, wife the wife of Uriah. Why why that instead of Bathsheba? Well, David had Uriah murdered. Uh, they're, 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 and they, they were non-Jews and all sort of, uh, sorts of controversy around that. But it's worth noting that their pregnancies all had something wrong around them, um, like Mary's did. Now, and here's the thing. All, all this lays out a beautiful picture that God is at work in the midst of the mess. And aren't you thankful at Calvary where we're a place where messy people are welcome in Jesus as Lord? Um, it's interesting too, just the inclusion of these women at all is actually strange today. Most, again, ancient genealogy excluded women because women um, you know, may have tarnished the family line in the view that day. And that's heartbreaking, but it was true. But Matthew is the opposite, right? So Tamar was a Canaanite and who disguised herself as a prostitute in order to seduce Judah. And Rahab, I could go on, Ruth was a Canaanite prostitute to protect the Israelites and, and help, help overthrow Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite woman who moved to Israel upon the death of her husband. And finally, Bathsheba was taken advantage of. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David married Bathsheba after, after, after um, fathering a child by her and, and killing her husband. So I don't want you to miss this, right? So the inclusion of these non-Israelite women uh, foreshadows the broad spread of the gospel. Now, certainly more than that, and in one message we can't unpack all of it, but foreshadows the broad spread of the gospel, the grace of God actively at work and ultimately impacting the world. And yet there's, there's still 
more here in the genealogy who was um, who was where sin was great, right? So, so um, we we see people like Manasseh, the father of Amos. What's going on here? He sacrificed his own son to Molech. Sacrificed his own son to Molech, right? So, so, so in the midst of this, so fourteen uh, people named, which twice seven is a reminder that God is still in control. Oh, there's so much more that we could go through here and go in there about a blood curse about him, adoption, all this sort of stuff. But we, huh, but here we are in 2021 and, and we could continue to walk through these things. And here's the thing though, I don't want you to miss this, right? Um, there is a clear sense, and I love that Matthew includes these things. Let's, why would Matthew include such a thing? Let's take a look. It says this. It says, as Jesus passed by there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reached, reclined at the table in a house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when they heard it, he said, those who are well don't have need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous. I, didn't, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what a beautiful thing, because in Jesus, prostitute and king both stand on the level ground at the foot of the cross. I love that the name of our church is Calvary, because at the foot of Calvary, the ground is level. And Matthew, a sinner, a tax collector, we're talking more about just how bad of a sinner a tax collector is, but Matthew records this beautiful genealogy that tells us so, so very much. But let's not end there. Number five, and finally, the gospel tells us the story of Jesus that makes things new. I hope by now you can tell I really love this genealogy. I really do. And I think it's a, uh, it's a powerful and beautiful genealogy. And, uh, and it's a reminder to me that, um, you know, I started by sharing some of my family pictures. Maybe you rolled your eyes a little bit. My dad was a drunk, his words. Um, he's sober now. AA made a difference in his life. Uh, he gives me permission to share that. My dad was a drunk. My ancestors were many criminals. Um, my genealogy is a mess, right? Three sets of, of 14 is like six sevens. Jesus is the seventh seven here. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the idea. It's the number of rest. And, and, and Jesus brings that rest. Even in, we see the tumult of his own genealogy. We see it. We get a picture of it. And it helps us to understand more about what it ultimately means for us that Jesus changes everything. My dad was a drunk. My aunt was a terrorist, arrested for smuggling guns to the Irish Republican Army. My ancestors were criminals. But because of Jesus' genealogy, my genealogy is not my destiny. And because of Jesus' genealogy, your genealogy is not your destiny. I don't know where you come from. I'm not saying you don't carry some challenges, burdens, and scars that come with that. But what I want to say to you is that Ephesians 3, 6 is 3, 4 through 6 is for you. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, Paul wrote, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of Christ, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Sisters and brothers, we hear the beauty of the gospel reflected in the words of this genealogy. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've been through. I know we're going to do our work to work through some of the challenges of our past and in our journey. 
But what I want to say to you is when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you should be able to say, I come from a messed up family and I lived in a messed up world. And in the midst of that, God the Son was born Jesus the Christ. So in all the generations from Abraham to Abraham were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. The story of the whole world. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Next week, we start with, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It starts, which could be seen as bad news, but I see the inclusion of all these people as great news. That no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, Jesus came for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we acknowledge today that you indeed, by your grace and goodness, have come for us. Lord, I thank you for your genealogy. I thank you for the challenges that are represented there. I thank you that in the midst of the brokenness, you're still Messiah and you are still King. So Lord, I pray that for every person who's unsure that Jesus came for them, that the genealogy of Jesus would remind them that he comes from the whole world, from Moabites to devout kings, to, to liars and cheats, to people who loved the Father. And yet, the call is to us all. Jesus has come. Father, we thank you as we begin into the Gospel of Matthew. Even next week, we get to jump into the, the birth of Jesus and, and how, how the true story of the whole world becomes clear even now. So as we walk through Matthew, open our hearts to your word, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.